This is Restless, a postmortem on the young, restless, and reformed. Welcome back to Restless, your podcast look back on the new Calvinism that was. I am your host, Matt, and I am, as always, joined by Pastor Michael. Michael, how are you doing? You know, it's been a very good day, so I am very excited to jump back in and talk a little bit about the church. Yeah, it is a great day to talk about the church. I think it's really important to talk about the church. I think it's it's almost a cliche to say, like, the church is so important. But what I think is important for our listeners in particular is that as we look back at New Calvinism, as we look back at how they became Reformed, I think maybe some of us had expectations for what would happen in our lives and in our churches that maybe didn't pan out. And so now I think... At least I know people who are certainly restless today, who might be dissatisfied with their church. Yeah, this is a not-so-uncommon ailment, uh, especially amongst uh, our kinds of people, Uh, especially young men who were taken up in this kind of theological movement. You see a lot of the desire for something better, right? There is a kind of idealism that desires things to be better than they are. And need I remind you, as we come to the end of 2020, guys, there might be other reasons you're dissatisfied at your church. What? I don't know. (laughs) In 2020, do we have any other reason to be unhappy with the way the church is going let let's leave them all unmentioned but you might know what i mean but i do think there's a lot of people that maybe thought calvinism would take their church or joining that new calvinist church would maybe make changes that it didn't make right that now your church just uses the gospel coalition resources for things probably isn't where you thought this was going long term However, I do want to say if you're a person today and you're struggling with some level of dissatisfaction in your church, I think it's important for you to know what the hedonometer is. Michael, do you know what the hedonometer is? I've never heard of this in my life. Okay. So it sounds like it has the word hedonism in it. And so is it something from John Piper? It is not. Um, okay. But that is a great um, guess especially given our show's content. Uh, The hedonometer is a thing a few social scientists invented because they wanted to try and figure out a way to track how happy the whole world is at any given time. And so when they started this study, I don't know what it was. It's something like 10 years ago. They asked this little uh, startup company called Twitter if they could check 10% of the tweets sent into Twitter to measure how many happy words, how many sad words were being used, right? And obviously, uh, 10 years ago, that wasn't that many. Now, 10% of their tweets is unbelievably huge. And so, for the last 10 years, they have been marking 
different words and their frequency in Twitter's algorithm. And so what they have found um, is that the world is in a five-year downward spiral of becoming less happy. Uh, and so they only notice like the whole world gets suddenly happier together in the English-speaking world, right? That's probably important. We're talking about the English-speaking world on Twitter. It gets suddenly happier around Christmas time. So Merry Christmas, everybody. But they've noticed over the last five years, this is, it's so interesting, and this is one of their units for me measurement. We've lost worldwide two Christmases of happiness in general. We've missed two we've Christmases worth of happiness. I said we should, we've lost it, right? So it's, it's just so much further. In the end of 2020, we're, every, every month in 2020 was a new record low of worldwide happiness based on the hedonometer. And so here's why I'm bringing this up. Because if you are feeling unhappy about something in your life right now, you are not alone. <laughs> I just think it's important to know that like whatever struggle you're feeling in your church um, or your life in general, it may not be time to rush out and make a change. Because, or it might be. I'm just saying that the whole world is less happy. So when you feel a bit discontent and you go online and you see all of your friends posting happy pictures and uh, that they're eating all this great food and they're going on all these cool vacations and you feel like, oh man, that is not my life. My life is hard and I don't like it right now. You're saying that I'm not supposed to necessarily take that as the reason to make a change. That is exactly what I'm saying. Because, one, if you're on social media, the only thing you should be doing is following Restless there, which you can find on Facebook and now an Instagram. So please come follow us there as we learn what that is. But no, it those are, those are not reflective. But yeah, Michael, what do you think... Um, a dissatisfied decade later new Calvinists might be feeling or thinking as they listen to the podcast? That's an interesting question uh, because uh, I do, I am somewhat connected still with many people who were very much influenced by this movement. And it does seem like we've, over the last few years, reached a little bit of a plateau uh, where the rapid change, right? We're reading all these new books and there's all these new uh, sermons and these new conferences and, and all of these things. That, that has kind of slowed down and we don't have that same uh, maybe excitement or build around these things. And now those kind of initial bursts of energy, maybe you could call them, have kind of started to plateau into just regular life again, right? Uh, we, we got really excited about this new teaching and, and new ideas to us within evangelicalism. And I think for a lot of people, that's kind of just started to become normal again. And you still read these new books that Crossway puts out. You still listen to the podcasts that are being done 
but it's no longer got that same excitement to it. And uh, often when that happens, right, when you are coming down off the mountaintop, so to speak, there can be a kind of dissatisfaction and a kind of discouragement where you thought, oh, this is what it's always going to be like now. This is, this is what I'm always going to experience and what the church should be like and what, what we're all going to come together around these doctrines and there's going to be this revival and then it just does not pan out quite that way. And you end up back in your church where they're not engaging the culture like you would really like them to be. Or they're trying to engage the culture and it's super tacky and it's super lame and you wish they would do it the right way. Uh, you are back in your church where, yeah, they mention John Piper and use some of his resources, but also uh, they are not necessarily following through in a more consistently reformed theology that you're starting to read more about and hear more about and that can be discouraging that can that can leave you a bit a bit discouraged because that ideal that you thought you were coming to is actually not there it it is it is still far off yeah and you know what michael based on what you're kind of saying the newness is wearing off the return to ordinary uh the excitement right of you and your friends and these online communities you were engaging in is is kind of gone down what what that tells me is then the solution actually would not be solved if i just came and joined your church well what they're saying is i've really got to get into a more they've got they're just saying i've got to get to the more reformed church because you know what i would guess a few weeks in the newness of oh we're doing it the right way or uh, or what or whatever other great things they would find at Christ's covenant would wear off and you would be left feeling the same way again. That's right. Any any time that you have a certain kind of idealism, the world has this great way of absolutely destroying it. Right? <laughs> Anytime you have this perfect vision of this is the way it's supposed to be, this is this is how we're gonna solve the problem, this is everything, and it's gonna fix everything, and the grass is always greener over there. And then you get there, and it's like, oh, man, uh, there are still people that are sinful here. And right. there's still leadership that I don't agree with here. And there's right. still style choices that I think are bad here. Uh, yep. What's going on? I thought this was the promised land. What happened? I, and I think at this point, again, I'm just full of cliches in this episode, so sorry if this is annoying you. It's the it's the marriage analogy, right? You get married. You go on your honeymoon. This is right. This is the best. You're riding high. And then eventually you just come back to normal life. And obviously, sadly, this is obviously that that ride on feelings causes some people to end their marriages, which is, you know, a tragedy. But I think that's a pretty good example. But what good marriages do is that their love and their appreciation and their life matures into something much better in their relationship, something much more fruitful long-term. That the, and that you have to eventually learn there is something more to marriage than the, the uh, feelings you had in the beginning, which I think is the same with Reformed theology, which is the same with the church. And so all I'm saying 
with mentioning the hedonometer, mentioning trying to trying to this is always dangerous, right? Trying to project certain dissatisfaction some of our listeners might feel um, that I felt, right? No doubt. Is that I'm just saying maybe take a minute before you make a big decision, before you tell your wife it's time to pack up, before uh, before you or you make or you make a oh or you make a worse decision, right? I I hope there is no one on on our in our listeners who right now thinks they can't be in a church or they shouldn't be or they have to pull out and do their own thing, but there might be. But because this is the this is the thrust of our episode today, I can summarize it in 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 one sentence, and this is for all of you. Reformed Christians are churchmen. Reformed Christians are churchmen. And Michael and I wanted to do this episode before we went any further. We've got lots of fun stuff lined up, lots of interesting stuff for us lined up. But we but we realized before we say anything else, we need to emphasize this point. Yeah, and one of the things, I mean, we have already done, it will continue to do, is to uh, critique different aspects of the church. We're going to start critiquing uh, different teachings and ideas and teachers and teachers that uh, either you know were a part of or came from the young restless reform movement and in doing so we don't want the kind of perfectionism and idealism that says oh well if this person can be critiqued then i can't ever listen to anything they say or if if there are problems in this church or this denomination, well, then that's not the one for me. I need to find the one that's made it. And the reality is you won't. Okay, There is no place that you will find here and now that is going to fit in with a perfectionistic vision of the church. That's not even what the church is. It's not what it's supposed to be right now. Uh, and if that is what you're looking for, well, then what will end up happening is burnout or delusion, right? You could, you could delude yourself into thinking, well, I've made it. I'm with the right people and there's, there's nothing wrong with them and we're perfect and everyone else should follow our standard. Uh, but what you're actually doing there is deluding yourself and you are uh, thinking of yourself as someone who is, is without sin, who has fulfilled the law completely. Uh, and... Ultimately, that is a house that is built on sinking sand that will inevitably get washed away. But uh, you're either deluding yourself or you have this, you know, uh, moment of discouragement when you're going to realize, yeah, I was wrong. Oh, yeah, this church also has all kinds of problems because it's a church. And so we want to make sure that... uh, moving into maybe more critique and not just safe critique that you understand what we're saying is not you need to find the perfect church what we're trying to say is you need to love the church that's right i think that the the point you made is so uh important that this is not even what the church is read the new testament read the new testament and and we should 
And Michael, as a Presbyterian pastor especially, holds up the apostolic church as the model that we should follow. The model that we should follow is excommunicating people, is full of churches that barely want the Apostle Paul to come to a pulpit fill for them. Right? This is what the church is like. I mean, if you take a Reformed covenantal view... What was the church when Jesus came to earth? The church was the, the, the nation of Israel, right? The faithful Jews in there. And what did they do? They weren't stoked that he showed up. There right. were what did pe- the, the perfect church right. do when the perfect God himself That's comes right. incarnate among them? The, the, the synagogues had demon-possessed people inside of them. The church had demon-possessed people inside of them. And it and it blew my mind when I finally realized that we must account for sin in the church, that that is just part of it. And that's part of the story that God has decided in his wisdom and love to tell. And that's also why I get to be in the story, right, on any level. That's right. That's why we get to take part in it, because uh, Christ came to save sinners, right? Christ came to receive sinners. Christ did not come for the healthy. He came for the sick. And so when you walk into a church, what you should expect to see is a bunch of sick folks. And also, maybe, again, we may need to defend ourselves as we begin doing critique. Critique doesn't mean I don't love the church. Again, read the New Testament. Look at what the apostles did to churches they planted, to, to other apostles. This is, this is part of how it works. This episode is saying Reformed Christians are churchmen. So, Pastor Michael, you are a Reformed pastor. Um, I hope you would describe yourself as a churchman. What is a churchman? So, churchman, if we want to just boil it down as much as possible, is I would just say a churchman is someone who has devoted themselves to the church. And when I say devoted, I don't mean just, well, I took membership vows. Uh, I, I don't just mean in form. I mean in actual practice, in, in heart, in life, you have decided to give yourself to the building up of the body of Christ. And uh, toward that end, I want to read what the Presbyterian Church in America uses for membership vows, because I think it's helpful on this point. And uh, this is, you know, one of the beautiful things I think about uh, our denomination. One of the things that I do like about it and is true of of many others as well, but uh, you don't have to be a Presbyterian to be a member, right? You don't have to uh, hold to the entirety of the Westminster Confession of Faith to be a member of uh, PCA Church. Here's what you have to uh, vow. In order to become a member, this is what, what you have to vow before the congregation. Number one, do you acknowledge yourself to be a sinner in the sight of God, justly deserving his displeasure and without hope save in his sovereign mercy? Number two, do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as the Son of God and Savior of sinners, and do you receive and rest upon him alone for salvation as he is offered in the gospel? Number three, do you now resolve and promise in humble reliance upon the grace of the Holy Spirit that you will endeavor to live as becomes the followers of Christ. So you see here, this is uh, maybe focused on uh, a recognition of your sin and then uh, 
a profession of faith and then kind of personal piety, right? Living a life that is consistent with that profession of both your sinfulness and the free grace of God in Christ. Now, uh, this is what I want to focus on. These are the last two questions that are asked in, in our membership vows. Do you promise to support the church in its worship and work to the best of your ability? And do you submit yourselves to the government and discipline of the church and promise to study its purity and peace? And think for the word study there, think work toward, work toward its purity and peace, fight for its purity and peace. And so uh, you have here then uh, kind of encapsulated what I would argue it means to be a churchman, that you would uh, support the church through its worship, in its work, that uh, you would take part in those things, that you would volunteer your time, that you would give of your money, that you would give of your energy uh, toward the building up of the kingdom of God through that local body. And you will also be one that is going to submit yourself to the government of that church. You're going to submit yourself to the elders. You're going to uh, live in a way that is honorable and respectful toward those who Christ has decided to lead that church. And uh, you are going to follow them in their discipline, right? So when they exhort, you will listen to that. Uh, when when uh, you have uh, some sin in your life and you are approached by the leaders of the church that say, hey, we should deal with this, you're not going to instantly say, okay, I'm out of here and just fly away. You're going to listen. You're going to submit to that. And you're going to, to work toward and fight for and again, give of yourself toward the, the purity and peace of that church. You're not going to sow dissension. You're not going to try to fight and start, start brawling with everybody that you slightly disagree with. You're not going to go out of your way to start uh, causing some kind of schism where you're telling everyone in the church that you have a problem with the way the leadership is doing things. And so why don't we start our own church or why don't we fight back and do something different? And you're, you're not going to be doing that. And you're going to be fighting for the purity of the church. Now, that can include, by the way, uh, you know, if someone, uh, a leader in the church is teaching something false, there, there, is, there are ways to go about fighting for the purity and peace of the church that would include confronting that sort of thing. Uh, but uh, I'm just trying to encapsulate this idea of a, of a churchman is being someone that has actually devoted yourself to the church and actually loves her. And when I say the church, I don't mean the ideal church in your head. I mean an actual local body of believers, an actual local church that you can walk in the doors. Or if you don't have doors and you know you meet outside or something, that's fine too. Wherever you meet, the, right. the, these are real people that you are interacting with on a regular basis in the worship and work of God. The church, yeah, I think it's so important to say that, right, Don't you can't say you love the church if you don't show up on Sunday, right? It's the... Don't say you love God who is invisible if you do not love your neighbor, your brother who you can see, right? Don't tell me you love the church if whenever I ask like about your church, you don't have any love for it. You though this this isn't how it works. I think that I think those vows, I hope whether our listeners take those exact vows or something similar or they have a membership that works differently. I hope that that is what you have at least set apart for yourself to be, right? The uh, Cambridge uh, Dictionary defines churchman as a man who is actively involved in the church, especially as a priest or other official. And and I think that, right, 
Michael is describing what it means to be actively involved in the church, but we're also Protestants. This is the priesthood of all believers. This is why even the word liturgy is a word we've kind of lost that new Calvinism didn't actually help me reclaim, but it's such an important word because it means work of the people. The worship, when you attend worship, the the the, the goal is not to get something, though God is generous and he gives us many gifts there. You are there to do the work of the people. You are there to engage in the life of the church, to worship, to study its peace, to do all the things Michael is talking about. That is what it, yeah, that is totally what it means to be a churchman. Michael, what would be, uh, what would be external things? What would be activities that a, is there anything specific you would point out to encourage someone wanting to grow in this kind of um, devotion to the church, uh, you know, more than just what I feel or believe inside, what I do? So you need to be engaging in the actual worship of the church, right? Lord's Day, you go, you participate, you are singing, you are praying, you are uh, deeply involved in all aspects that you can be as a member of the church. Uh, it means participating in Sunday school, Bible studies, small groups, anything that you are able to do to help encourage, to help grow yourself, but then also help to encourage other believers. It means seeking serving opportunities, right? How, how can you serve the church? One of the things we do at our church is we don't have a janitor or something like that on staff. Uh, the members of the church do all of the cleaning of the building. And so each week we have uh, different families from the church that will come in and do the cleaning of the building, and we have different people that will come in and mow the property and things like that, uh, even those little things. Beyond that, you have uh, opportunities you know, uh, to uh, meet with your elders, and uh, perhaps you're the kind of young man that would be good to uh, move toward leadership at some point. If you feel that kind of desire, you can at least meet with your elders, talk with them, see if they feel the same way. And if you have elders that say, no, you're really not meant for leadership, uh, part of this would be saying, that's okay. Because, again, the priesthood of all believers means just because you're not a leader in the church, just because you're not you know, doing something up front where everybody sees you, doesn't mean you're not an integral part of the body of Christ. Uh, there is uh, great glory to be had uh, for those parts of the body of Christ that are not as visible. So seek out ways that you can serve. Uh, also, uh, just be an encouragement to those around you. Help to care for those around you. Help to disciple those around you. Obviously, starting with yourself and starting with your family and working out from there. But uh, there, there's so much that you could be doing, uh, checking in with other people from the church. And often this happens through a small group type settings. But uh, praying with others, gathering with others uh, in order that you might have uh, deeper fellowship. Hospitality right? Just eating together with, with other members of the church. It, what you are doing is you are, you are trying to uh, grow in your love and devotion to this particular people. So you brought up the marriage analogy. You know, you wouldn't say that somebody is devoted to their marriage if they never spend time with their wife. Right. If they just, they kind of, you know, maybe at the end of the day, they turn on the TV, they watch something together, and then they go home. No, you, you, would, you would not say that that person is particularly devoted uh, to their spouse. They are uh, 
they are devoted to their spouse if they show that through their care and devotion, right? They're regularly speaking with their spouse. They're regularly going on dates. They're, they're uh, doing something enjoyable together. They're doing all kinds of stuff uh, like that. That's, that's what you would want to see. And so uh, the same thing is going to be true in, in being a churchman, being devoted to the bride of Christ, to a local body of believers. That's going to come out in your actions. Let me offer one pushback because I'm guessing... Again, we're not doing rocket science here. We're doing 101 Christian discipleship, right? We're, that's what we're talking about. The pushback is, yeah, guys, amen. You you guys, this is right. But you don't know my situation. Pastor Michael, isn't there a time for me to leave the church I'm a part of? There's definitely times to leave the church. Okay, uh, So obviously, if you're in a situation where you have uh, significant, you know, uh, doctrinal issues where something is being taught that you believe is distinctly unbiblical. And I'm not talking about like, you know, we're, we're disagreeing on some minor note. I, I mean the more serious matters of the faith. Uh, there is good reason to uh, leave over those kinds of issues. Even there, though, I mean, if you are set up in a church where— uh, you know, the pastor says something that you believe to be seriously problematic. The right response to someone who's devoted to the church is not to say, okay, we're not coming back next week. It would be to go and talk to that pastor and say, what, like, I hope, you know, it's love covers a multitude of sins. And if you love the church, there are going to be things that you hear your pastor say, you hear others teach that you're going to say, you know, I don't think they meant it like that. I think what they said is probably wrong, but there's no way they actually meant it like that. It, you will think the best of this person. But if it becomes clear that you need to, you go and talk to them, you speak with them. If you find out, no, this is an important thing to them, that they are drawing a line in the sand, that they believe some kind of, of uh, problematic doctrine, then what you do there is, again, not just leave. Let's say you just leave at that point. Everyone else in that church that you have said you're devoted to, they're now going to be sitting under that kind of teaching. And so you don't have to be rebellious about it, but you then go to other leadership in the church and you try to see, you know, if this is just an agreed upon thing within the church or if there's some way that you can actually cause uh, a helpful change. Uh, now, outside of, you know, those kinds of issues, I think most of what we're talking about is not as much the big, you know, oh, they started to deny the deity of Christ. You know, that's probably not what most people that are going to be listening to this are going to be experiencing. Most people listening to this, what they're experiencing is probably, I wish that you know we uh, would change how we do the the Lord's Day worship. I wish that uh, we would be a little bit more liturgical in how we did things. I wish that we wouldn't sing a Hillsong song. Uh, I wish that we wouldn't be doing that. And so it's going to be uh, not unimportant things, but minor in comparison to the, the more important doctrinal matters of the faith. In those kinds of situations, uh, there may come a point where you feel like where you are, uh, where, where your convictions are, you just can't carry on with that body anymore. But again, if that looks like you are just going to up and leave the next Sunday when you notice it, 
Well, that, that shows that you're not devoted to this people in this church. Uh, it's still going to look like a slow process working with that church. If you feel like there's a reason why you might not be able to continue at the church you're at, if you have not talked to your pastor and your elders about that, well, that's the place to start, right? Go and talk to them and just say, hey, uh, this is what I'm thinking right now. This is why I'm thinking it. What kind of counsel do you have for me? I've known situations where uh, there are people that come to a church and, you know, for instance, an issue over something like baptism. Do you, you know, do you believe that infants should be baptized or not? Uh, there's going to be times, and we've counseled people when they've come here who uh, do not believe in paedo-baptism. Uh, there's going to come a time when you may feel like you just can't keep going with the church uh, because of something that's so, uh, so important like baptism. And that is okay. Uh, it's not okay to cause dissension to, you know, even when we bring people in for membership who uh, would say they don't necessarily agree with paedo baptism, uh, we often talk to them and say, well, are, are you going to, you know, stand up and make a fuss every time we baptize an infant? Because we're going to do that. And we'll explain why. And we, we, we want you to understand that as well. And we believe it's biblical and we want you to understand that. Uh, but you're welcome to join us and be a part of our fellowship without holding that belief yourself. Uh, but if you're just going to, you know, uh, get upset every time we do that, well, then this probably isn't the right place for you. If, if we can live together in that, then maybe, you know, there is a way that we can, uh, we can uh, continue as fellow members of the church. So uh, what I'm trying to say in probably too long-winded of a way is that there are times when it may be more fruitful for you and your family uh, to move to a different church. But that should not be a process that happens overnight. It should not be something that you, uh, you know, you just get upset one day and so you leave. If you're truly devoted to the church, it will take time. It will be a part of discussion with the elders of that church. And they might not agree, but you will be trying to do everything you can to, to leave respectfully, to, uh, to leave without sowing division, to explain to others why you're leaving and how it's not necessarily because you, you know, you hate this church and it, everything about it's wrong and you should join me and get out of here. Uh, but you can just explain why your personal convictions would lead you to, to leave. There's, you know, I had a conversation recently with somebody who was thinking about leaving a church, seemed to be doing it in a very respectful way. But one of the things they mentioned was uh, they were starting to have kids and they don't want to like go home from church every Sunday and say, well, here's the things that we don't agree with from church. They wanted to be able to just say, no, we're like, we're in full agreement with what this church is teaching. Uh, and we completely agree with the doctrinal statement. And so uh, when it comes to those kinds of issues, there are going to be times, practically speaking, that you do need to leave a church. I grew up in a different denomination than I'm currently in. So I had to, I had to leave uh, in order to come into this. But uh, you don't want to do that in a way that will cause division and schism or even in such a way that you would, you know, look down on those who make a different decision. Yeah, I think that's really good. I think you, you not only answered this question, you also talked about the biblical ways of leaving a church, which regardless of if the church is actually maybe something's coming in or you've realized there's something maybe kind of dangerous there, or it's just something you don't agree with, um, like baptism, you have to exhaust 
the biblically mandated things for the sake of this pastor, these people, before you just up and leave. It's not a, uh, it, it's, it's more than your, your pastor's hot take on masks. You need, there needs to be more than that going on in your, through your mind as you consider these things. And I think that the other thing with what Michael said is it's so case by case, right? Michael described one where you, you actually are probably doing something that would cause a stir in the church. Uh, and I think maybe the closest thing that would be happening in some people's churches might be a, a thing like wokeness, some of that, which maybe we'll get into. And But then there are plenty of times where, man, you don't need to mess up your mom's Bible church just because now you want to go to a church where it's more Calvinist. Because this does matter. Um, in closing, I'm gonna I'll, I'll I'm gonna read something from the Belgic Confession of Faith. I'll ask Michael about a line of it that I think is really important. Um, so the Belgic Confession in describing the visible church, right? The church you can see, the church you go to on Sunday. It says the visible church, which is also called the Catholic or Universal Church under the Gospel, not confined to one nation as before under the law, consists of all those throughout the world who profess true religion and their children and is the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ, the house and the family of God, out of which there is no ordinary possibility of salvation. Michael, how, how can the Reformed confessions say, as, the, as most of them do, there is no ordinary path to salvation outside of the church? Because this is the, the means by which, the instrument by which, Christ has decided to make known his message of salvation, right? This is the, the means by which God has decided to, uh, to initiate and then uh, help one to grow in the faith and grow in grace. This is where the, the means of grace, the, the preaching of God's word and baptism and the Lord's Supper and prayer, this is where those things are centered and done. Uh, if you are deciding uh, not to go to the means by which God is providing those things, the, the means by which he has decided to uh, work in the lives of believers, then what you are saying is you are choosing to reject uh, what he is offering. Now, obviously this said, you know, out of which there's no ordinary possibility of salvation. Because we're not saying that because the thief on the cross hadn't taken membership vows uh, in a particular church, that therefore uh, there is no chance that he's going to be in heaven. Obviously, that's not true. Uh, but uh, as far as the normal everyday way that God works, the way that he works, the way that he builds his kingdom is through the ministry of the local church. That's right. So when we say we Reformed Christians are churchmen, it matters because your soul matters. It matters because the souls of your family matter. God has seen fit to work through the visible church. And that's why you got to join. Thanks for listening. Please rate and review the show. We'll catch you next time with an interview you won't want to miss. Hey, man. 
Welcome, welcome. Hello. You guys you guys are recording. We're recording. We're going to finish. We got like one minute left on a podcast. We're recording. <laughs>